Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats of all ages, welcome to another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. This is episode number 59. Uh, we were actually joking just before the show that we had to find our notes from episode 58, because when I said to Ed, you know, what episode number is this? And he's, oh, I think it's this. And I'm like, well, we actually recorded one before, and Ed denied all responsibility for it, but I eventually convinced him that we had done it, and Ed found the notes. So, yay, at some point, the lost episode will go up. So, um uh, as always, I'm joined by uh, Ed Funkatron Finkler. Ed, how are you today? We actually didn't even talk today, which is extremely rare um, for the day of a podcast. That is weird. We usually chat a little bit, but uh, thankfully, we have this thing called a, a an e calendar. It's like an electric calendar, and uh, I use that to uh, remind me of when things are going to happen. And so this time, I remembered to put it in my electrical calendar. And it worked. You know, one of these days I'm going to get my um, time management for grumpy programmers talk accepted at a conference somewhere. And then people will find out how I keep my life straight. They may be actually surprised how much of my shit I have together. Anyway, uh, on this uh, fabulous episode, we have a very awesome guest, one who I've known for um, for quite a long time. But before we uh, introduce our guest, Ed, let's talk about our sponsors. Yes, our sponsors. Let's talk about them. Uh, who we got here? We got your, um, wonder network, uh, who, uh, they are taking pictures, panoramics. Uh, my understanding now is what they do is they can take a panoramic picture, 360 degrees of your website. Um, but they can only take the photo in Clearwater, Florida. So they sort of reverse their model. Instead of having things where you could get a photo of your website from anywhere in the world, now it's only in one place, but it's 360 degrees. So that's what we got going on. Uh, that's very exciting, I think, for everybody. Uh, I think you'd agree, Chris. Uh, and, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, every, it seems like every time we do one of these podcasts, um, Paul and um, uh, Will Power and... Uh, and uh, who's the, who else do they have working for them? Don't they have uh, Gemma, who we, who I met at uh, True North PHP? Yeah, um, the Gemma, I want to call her Ansible. Yes, Ansible. Gemma Ansible. Big shout yes. out to Gemma. Uh, are always introducing awesome new features. And a panoramic view of your website from Clearwater, Florida. I think that sounds like a, a feature that's been long in development and high in demand. Mm-hmm. So you can see the back of the monitor that it appears on. Wow. It's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. <laughs> And then the uh, our, our our second sponsor, uh, but uh, first in our hearts, is uh, Rove uh, Rove Meat, and they oh team Rove Team, and uh, they have uh, once again pivoted. Um, and Chris, you might know about this because I think I think actually this is your idea. Now they've moved out of. You may remember at one point they we, the uh, PHP Nuke sites. They have moved out of the Amber Monitor uh, the, uh, corner market with all the ver- different verticals they had captured in the in the Amber Monitor market. Don't forget. Uh, don't forget Web TV. Yeah. Um, uh, it's my understanding uh, that they have moved on from the web TV uh, hardware software combos that they were developing. Um, and now it's porting Japanese dating simulators to uh, Silverlight apps that run in the browser. It's very, very exciting times for Rose. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. 
Uh, it's uh, a good time, I think, for everybody. Everybody wants love. Find love at Rove. And plus a chance to do a bunch of, uh, we're, we're doing all the back-end services uh, that, the, that the dating simulators talk to. We're doing those in PHP 7, so it is super, super exciting times. It's all in 7. You guys are already using it. Yep. Um, you've hinted your statics, your statistical types. Hinted even return types, which is extremely exciting. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I keep saying static when I mean scalar. Yeah, it's scalar. It type. doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's, and more importantly, no I felt knows. I felt uniquely prepared to help with the challenge because I just happened to write a book about how to how to use uh, a language that's very similar to PHP that uses scalar type hinting and return types. Hinting, oh, that's so. the Hucklang. That's right, Hucklang. That's right. It's uh, named after Huckleberry Finn. Correct. And uh, and and the famous author uh, Tom Sawyer. Yep, uh, you know the the grumpy little book of Huck Lang is um, it's selling quite well, so I'm, yes. I'm, I'm I'm quite happy. But I think everybody's excited. Yes, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, most of the proceeds from the Japanese dating sims are going to uh, Rove Foundation, where Rove is uh, trying to help um, people who uh, otherwise not be able would not be able to attend uh, um, uh, PHP-centric conferences. Uh, we're offering financial assistance and, and helping um, match. Uh, there's some other companies that are interested in, interested in helping out, so we're trying to kind of get some scholarships going and match match interested parties up with people who are willing to help, uh, help some people attend conferences because uh, my experiences have been super positive over the years with conferences, and I, I, I want to see more and more people get involved because it's really a good way to get plugged into the, the, the programming community that surrounds your programming language. So many developers are kind of dark developers in that they're working away and they're not really aware of, of other people who are using the languages and tools and conferences are a great way to meet people that are doing like really interesting things um, with your favorite languages. I can't wait to have everybody use the term dark developer. Well, I don't know other term. That's the one I've heard used to. There's nothing like, why are you saying some kind of racial overtones to what I'm doing here, Ed? I... I'm not. I don't have anything else to add to that. <laughs> oh, great! Something we have to edit out already. See, I told you, Arby. <laughs> anyway, with that, with that beautiful segue, I want to introduce our guest. It's Arby. Oh my God, I'm going to butcher the name now because I'm mad at Ed. Uh, Arzumani, right? Excellent. Yes, that's me. Hi. Oh, excellent. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I got it right. Uh, so yeah, so I've known Arby um, through the years that I've been going to conferences that were run by the old PHP architect folks. Plus, I wrote magazine a magazine article or two for them as well. So um, yeah, so Arby, almost I would think it's got to be seven, eight years I've known you. Uh, when was it? I'm thinking the first conference. No, not not the first conference. Maybe 2006. Yeah, because I know I went to 2000. I went to the one that was by Yorkdale, which is a big. For those who don't know, it's a big shopping mall that's um, uh, in Toronto, and there was a Holiday Inn across the street. Yes, there's a so, Holiday Inn. There. Yeah. So I had it there. So that was in 2006. I don't know if I met you because I went to that one, and then I knew I spoke at one that was run by you guys in 2007. So eight, eight seven, eight years. Got to be seven, eight years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I had Arby on uh, because, of course, we can never have too much Canadian content on the show. And also because Arby, uh, in addition to having done a lot of stuff with PHP and with Python, and he used to work for PHP Architect magazine and help with the production of the Python magazine they did for a while. And if we have some time, we'll talk about that later. But I saw Arby give a very interesting talk 
um, about running PHP and other awesome things on the Raspberry Pi. So, um, and so, of course, I find out through a little bit more digging that uh, RB is not only into the Raspberry Pi stuff, but also he's done a lot of stuff with modding consoles, and I'm sure he's done some other interesting kind of hardware hacking things. So that's why we decided to have RB on. Because uh, I find that stuff fascinating. I never have enough time to uh, play around with that sort of thing. So um, uh, I wanted to find out what's out there and, and, you know, how you got involved with it and, you know, how you foresee that sort of stuff changing, especially as it seems kind of inevitable. We're moving more and more towards that, the dreaded marketing label of the Internet of Things. And as a programmer, I'm scared shitless of having a house full of smart devices that I don't, mm-hmm. know, how they, don't know how they work. And one day there'll be a nice denial of service and my house won't let me in or it won't let me out. <laughs> So I'm kind of not looking forward to that. I, mean, I don't. I don't care about any of that. I want you to tell me how to get RGB out of my TurboGrafx 16. <laughs> That's all I care about. Just when you get to that part, yell, and I'll pay attention. I did it in Dreamcast, but hey. oh, nice. Um, yeah. So uh, let's see. Um, I think the whole modding thing began. Um, I had an Amiga. Amiga was my first computer I ever had. I think it was back in 86, and uh, I mean, uh, the whole thing started from there because it was a small, it was a kind of a community-based um, computer. It had a lot of uh, back channels. That's where the BBC days was really big uh, in the Amiga. But all the hardwares were done by these small companies, and uh, they're all basically pushing the boundaries and uh, trying to see what they can get out of this computer. Um, but that's go back to the Amiga later, but the, my first, I said the console I modded was, uh, hmm, wasn't that old actually, it was probably the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of went back and I got an Xbox One. I thought that was the neatest hack, that, that was a soft mod actually, the Xbox One. Um, the hack for that was, uh, <laughs> it was something called a font hack. Uh, it was basically exploiting a buffer underflow and in some specific games. Uh, I think the, there was three of them. One of them was the Mech, Mech Assault? No, Mech Warriors? Mech Warrior, yeah, because I did, I did that one myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was the Splinter Cell and the 007, I think, one of the 007 games. But that was really neat because I was just, as I was trying to lead up on it and how did we all put all the parts together, the, the, the hardest part was basically to get these um, magic save games onto the Xbox so that you could load these save games and uh, it would exploit um, this vulnerability and it would load this thing called a Mac installer, which would allow you to load uh, Linux. And from there... You, you would just open up the machine and uh, people would install XPMC on it. And um, I think my favorite thing out of this, that mod was the fact that I could actually run uh, MAME on the Xbox One. So you would just run the Xbox as a huge like MAME machine with like 4,000 games on it. Um, but that was probably one of my favorite mods. The, the Dreamcast mod uh, was... Fairly easy, but he required soldering. It was a hardware mod. And uh, <laughs> I was pretty proud of that mod because compared to the PS2 mod, it was the cleanest mod I had ever done. And for anybody who has, I don't know if anybody's done soldering, it's um, things get pretty small as the more sophisticated the machine becomes. Uh, case in point, the PS2, when it first came out, um, 
that that was the hardest mod I ever done. Uh, I don't know if any one of you guys that has done a mod on a PS2, but um, uh, the PS2 was when it came out. I was super excited about it. I was so excited that this is, I think, 2000. I think it was early 2000. Yeah. I was so excited that I decided to actually order it from Japan. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think I paid like eight, seven, eight hundred $800 for this thing. But it, it's all right. I was like super excited. And like, yeah, that's amazing. And I think I had one game for it. It was the Street Fighters um, EX edition or something. And I put the game and I'm playing it. And I'm like, oh, it's Japanese. Okay, well, that's, that's a given. And then I failed to realize <laughs> that um, I couldn't play any of the North American games on it. Region locking. Yeah, region locking. So I'm like, oh, this uh, sucks. And, um, and I paid like 800 bucks for this piece of brick that's sitting here. <laughs> I can't do anything. Oh, man. So, yeah, so that's when I started to go, I have to mod this thing. And uh, I had to be patient because I almost waited almost a year for something solid to come out. Um, and I think the first hardware mod that was out, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a beast. It was, I think, 19 wires. Oh, man. And, um, I, and you had to have like... A, hands of a surgeon in some of these uh, soldering points. And I, I had to have like a magnifying glass to, to check them up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, find, <laughs> I actually destroyed that. <laughs> I just remember now. I actually did destroy that, that board first time I tried it. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, it was... <laughs> I, I think I, what happened was I had done about five or six wires and this one soldering point it was so small and I was trying to, I kept on trying and I'm like, oh, it doesn't work. I would slip the solder out and try again. And by the third time, there was so much heat. I actually melted the board. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. There was a oh, hole. Man. They could see through the board. There was, I'm like, okay. I'm like, hmm, I don't think I can salvage this one. <laughs> And I was like, oh, there goes my $800. And uh, I had to get another one. I, I'm like, oh, well, at least I get to get a North American model now. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I got the North American model. And then I found out I can't use that mod on it anymore because the board had changed. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So, um so this is lots of fun so far. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You need a lot of patience. Uh, you need you need to you need a lot of patience for modding in general. And uh, uh, I mean, over the years, I've also modded an Apple TV, the original one. And uh, I found out over the years that if you want to mod something, uh, besides the time and effort you put into it, uh, you have to be ready uh, to accept the consequences. Besides making a mistake and destroying your machine, you're, you're giving up what the manufacturer is providing in terms of updates. That's mm-hmm. usually the case, especially yeah, the Apple stuff. Um, I mean, the, the Nintendo as well. Like, uh, I think the Apple TV, when I modded it, uh, you had the first thing you had to do, you had to disable the updates, or else you just <laughs> it wipes over your, your soft mod and uh, you have to go try again. But... Uh, you kind of are stuck with whatever firmware you have at that point. And 
And now that these days, especially with, uh, I th- right now I have a, I think it's the Western Digital TV Live, the WDTV Live, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little $90 media player and uh, it works great. I've never had to mod it. It plays like 90% of the media type files I have. Um, it's pretty decent, so I never had to touch it in that sense. But when I first got the Apple TV, um, uh, I said, okay, this, it's, it was very closed. I mean, you could only play iTunes stuff. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have a NAS with all kinds of stuff on it, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to access it. And accessing a shared folder is pretty important to me. So that was the one thing missing almost, I think, probably only a few years ago, they started allowing NAS access to SMB on all these devices. Because well, it definitely was a big deal before. Because of course, people with all their, um, you know, acquired movies and and other music and stuff, they you know, I guess they didn't want to make it easy for people. I have uh, I have one of the original Apple TVs, or it might be like not the first one, but it's the, one of the big silver ones. It's, it's it's upstairs. It just sits there. We don't use it very often, but um, um, but I do remember playing with it and doing soft mods on it and stuff. Software mods. I've never done a hardware modification for anything because mainly because I have. Uh, you know, I have the hand-eye coordination of like a, a just-born infant, so it's not uh, for doing that kind of delicate soldering work. It's 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 just not going to happen. So many times I've been looking at stuff, and I remember looking at um, a hack to provide um, Bluetooth um, for my car because the because the car that I have didn't come with it. And so they're like, oh, you can take this old Apple Express. I'm like, great, I have one of these. And then you take an Exacto knife. I'm like, oh, oh, and you just got to slice this thing. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So I went. So I went online and found something for like thirty bucks. that did exactly what um, this hack of the uh, Apple Express to, to play stuff over AirPlay on an iPhone was going to work. It's like yeah, I can just do it via Bluetooth, and it sounds just as good to me. So it's okay. Um, so, so what is it that like uh, like attracted you to the idea of mine? Just because you always wanted to try, like you were explaining with the Apple thing. Clearly, you know, all you could do was iTunes content. But it, what was it that attracted you to wanting to do this stuff? Just simply because you could modify it to, to do stuff that you wanted it to do that wasn't supported right out of the box? Yeah, it was the idea of, uh, I don't want to be boxed in. Like, uh, I don't want to be, I knew it was capable of doing a lot more. I mean, it is just a computer, basically, and with the proprietary OS on it. So I wanted to, first of all, access my own content. And I wanted to play that content. Uh, And the Apple TV, I mean, it was uh, really nice, and it couldn't play... um, uh, this is the original one. This is the same one you have, actually, the silver one yep. that I had. And in order to get it to play HD movies, I had to open it up and take out the Wi-Fi code. And I installed a broad, it's called a Broadcom Crystal HD code. And it lets you play 720p movies. I'm like, great, that's awesome. That was the first part. And then now I have to actually mod it and install XBMC on it. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, I think the company was Fire, called Fire, it's still around, Firecore? I think it's Firecore. They had this thing called the ATV Flash, and they would basically flash your Apple TV and install XPMC on it. And yep, I remember those people, yep. Yeah, it worked great, and the problem was it would crash at least once a day. And to this day, I don't know why it happened. Like Every time I would start something, it would just crash. But it would access, I was able to access my network storage, and it was great. Uh, and it was only doing one thing at that point. It was just basically a movie player. Um, 
and then after that, I think the app, after the Apple TV, I, that's when I got the Xbox One. Uh, that's when I started to do the, the hack on the Xbox One because uh, it was a lot uh, more stable than the Apple TV, actually. Um, I think back then it was basically a, <laughs> it was this big giant PC. Well, they had tried to basically make a, fit a PC into a console-sized box when they first uh, launched that uh, console. And uh, that's, that machine, the problem with that Xbox One, it didn't have enough power, though, to play uh, HD movies. So DVD quality, that's it. That's all, that's all, that's all you could do. Yeah, I, I remember back there was a time when I was trying to get all the stuff together to do like a home theater PC thing. So I had the, the a Haupage, I think that's how you pronounce it, Haupage card. And I'd been looking, someone that I knew had like bought a TiVo uh, mm-hmm. when you went across the Buffalo. And then you had to do this hardware mod, remove this thing and put this card in and all this stuff. And I just remember looking at this stuff and thinking, I'm going to fuck this thing up if I open <laughs> it up. So I even it was funny though, because I used to put back, you know, this is of course now this is like more like 12, 13 years ago before I started buying Macs um, I used to build my own PC so I had a nice Frankenstein PC with all stuff in it that I had put in so I don't know maybe it wouldn't have been so bad but I definitely never did any soldering but uh, definitely a lot of um, fooling around with the uh, with the innards of various computers so what like so it, it, I've always wondered how people discover some of these hacks you talked about the this font hack um, for the Xbox that was basically a way of like using a buffer underflow to get yourself access to that you could replace what's on there and install Linux so you could you know go with then the original Xbox Media Center which I think is kind of pivoted into what the heck is that thing called it starts with a P um, oh well you're thinking of Plex Plex Plex, Plex yeah Plex kind of but there, like an out, it actually that forked type of thing right that's it's actually like, a fork of it um, yeah that's what I was going to say like a, yeah. Plex is like a, a fork an outgrowth of, of Xbox Media Center I always yeah. wonder how people figure these things out how they figure you can do these these underflows and overflows like how do people figure these things out well i i think the xbox one was uh pretty neat because um it has to do with the clock um apparently the the dashboard would rely on the clock and um, the exploit was when uh the capacitors, the the backup it was a DRTC, the real time clock backup capacitors. Every time it would dis, it would discharge, the dashboard would have to reload. In mm-hmm. that reload time, this exploit would kick in, and it would load. It would uh, load basically piggyback and load Linux. Uh, I don't know how they figured that out. <laughs> they they somehow figured that that you could actually when you were you. Uh, do a discharge on the clock, the dashboard restarts. And this would happen, they did this when you would load a saved game in one of these games. So that's, uh, and then it would, I think what would happen is it would kind of go into this loop, the dashboard, it would keep on going to the infinite loop because the clock was just discharged. And you would load, I think what had happened was, uh, yeah, you would load it up and then you would load the dashboard, install Linux, and then you would still have access to the dashboard after that, which was neat. Um, I mean, because clearly there's people out there who are spending a lot of time uh, poking and prodding these devices to kind of figure out what's going on. It's, it's kind of interesting. You, you talked about how you have that little um, the, the Western Digital uh, movie player thing. I know that here at the house, um, 
now that we finally have, uh, and I'm doing air quotes, unlimited internet, I've had discussions with people many times about how we're still kind of on metered and not unlimited uh, broadband at home in Canada. Um, now that I finally have unlimited, um, so we have uh, Roku box. So I have two Roku 3s. I used to have one for a while, and then we were trying to watch stuff through our, my, my wife is busy binge watching um, Lost because she never watched it when it was on originally. So I'm staying far, far away from that because I don't want to watch it. And, um, and so now, but it, it's funny, I can remember like all the hacks you'd have to go through to do these sort of things. And now we have things like the Chromecast and little Roku. And it's, it's almost now like, well, you don't really have to hack on these things much anymore because they're kind of doing everything that we need them to do. I mean, uh, the only thing that I see now that is kind of a difference is now the, these, you know, the device manufacturers and the, and the content people have, have wised up that make some streaming-only devices is probably the best way for them to still maintain their desired um, iron grip on the content. Yeah, yeah. to me, when I, when I bought the Western Digital, was, it all came down to what can it play. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much my my main buying choice. Uh, if it could play eighty percent, good. Ninety percent, even better. But I knew nothing's going to support one hundred percent. If you want one hundred percent, you got to build your own stuff. You got to build your own box. And these days, you have a lot of choice. There's a lot of mini PCs you can buy and uh, put it behind your TV and way to go. That's probably the best way to go. But the, it depends on what you want to play. If you want to play 1080p. And you want to decode DTS audio, then you need pretty powerful PCs. Uh, but most of the mini PCs now they can become pretty good uh, homebrewed uh, HD PCs, as they call them. Well, it's, which is a nice segue because we have here in our notes that you know you talked about Raspberry Pi. Like I said, I mentioned I have one, one of the uh, one of the original ones, and I have a really cool rainbow colored case that I bought for it um, ages ago, and so. It, it sat languishing in my office for a while, and then I just fired it up today. And after about an hour of playing around with it, I mean, I got Linux installed on it and um, des- and got a nice kind of graphical um, graphical interface for it. So I'm probably gonna <clears throat> excuse me, wipe all that stuff out and and do something on it where it doesn't have to run with the graphical interface. Because of course, these things are little tiny pieces. PCs. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny that when I think about that, my my iPhone is way more powerful than this little Raspberry um, PC, the Raspberry <laughs> Pi. So you mentioned here that the because I have original one, so you have the Raspberry yeah. um, Pi too, and and you talked about how it actually makes for a. Um, you say it says here that you know it, you could actually use it to be a home home theater PC. So kind of can you run us through you know. I well, what's the Raspberry belt that people should be taking a look at these things? Okay, I actually have the first one. It's I have the B plus. Uh, I'm about to actually get the second one too. Uh, the, the first one, <laughs> the first one is pretty interesting. It's this, you mentioned the speed. It's equivalent to if anybody remembers a Pentium two, mm. three hundred megahertz Pentium two, or an iPhone three G. Um, and you can overclock it. I think the base clock is seven hundred megahertz. You can clock it up to one gigahertz. But if you do that, you got to take precautions. You got to get a heat sink, and you got to get a micro fan installed, and in the, whatever case you get, um, and it, it becomes a little finicky at one gigahertz. But as is, it could it can play seven twenty, no problem, HD movies. Uh, but it won't decode any DTS audio. What you have to do is whenever you hook up to HDMI out from this little box, the audio has to go through directly to your whatever receiver TV you have, and that device will do the decoding for the audio. Um, 
when I when I got the Aspie, I got it for actually uh, just do a little mini project I had uh, for Tech 2012, two years ago. Yeah, Tech 12, and uh, I thought, oh, that's a pretty neat device. It's small, doesn't need a lot of power. It has Ethernet, it has USB. Um, so I said, okay, I want to do a demo of a moving human billboard type of thing. It's going to sound really strange, but basically I wanted to mount this device uh, somewhere on me and using a portable projectors. You can get them now these days. There's, that was probably the most expensive part of the, the, of the project, but I wanted to get the projector hooked up to this Raspi and have a little backup battery on me as well. Uh, to power the Raspi, the projectors came with the 90-minute battery on it. But I had written a little PHP program and using HTML5's, um, what was it, the local storage and mm-hmm. what's the other API? Um, server push? No. You used to, used to, to stream content. Um I think it's called uh, local storage, and I forget what it is now. No. Is but it the socket API? It's the one of the socket APIs. Yeah, it's uh, basically you. It tells the server to basically s- uh, send it, stream it data on certain intervals. I see. But anyways, I <laughs> I wrote it to Twitter. I wrote a little PHP uh, code to basically use the Twitter API to pull my tweets. And display my tweets on this projector that was mounted behind me, and you would project it behind me as I'm walking upside down. So if you're behind me, you can see my tweets. Um, some kind of projecting out of my ass kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so it looked kind of weird because whenever I'm going, the project you know, the displays the projected screen is following me, and it was about three feet. Uh, it was yeah, but by three feet by three feet big. Uh, and in the daytime, you could see it was pretty high um, uh, contrast, so you could see it pretty really well. And I thought, well, oh, this would be a pretty neat idea if you go to like uh, uh, conventions, let's say, you know, you have a booth and you're promoting something, and you want to you have the promotion running behind you, and you're talking to people, and it gets people's uh, attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a project, and. Uh, the the easiest part was actually to get the program running <laughs> to get it to work. That was the easy part. Um, the thing about the last piece is uh, when it first came out, it was just a box. It doesn't come with any cables. It doesn't come with the Wi-Fi adapter. It doesn't come with the Bluetooth adapter. It doesn't come with an SD card. So uh, when it first came out, they w- you didn't see all these uh, started packages that they have now. Uh, the last P2 now, I think, there's a start a package that's I think 80 bucks and uh, it comes with everything really you need to to hook it up and the only thing missing is basically like keyboard and, mm-hmm. t- and a monitor um, and uh, then I started to find out what, what you need what all the little pieces you need and the costs start going up slowly <laughs> as you build it but uh, for I would say for I think ninety bucks I built basically like computers, forty uh, some odd dollars for the Raspi and all the little parts, all shipping, and it came to about ninety dollars. Um, and 
thing was no display, no keyboard, no case, no cables, no internet. So uh, the the number one thing that I think everybody needs to get is if they want to get a last is the the Wi-Fi adapters. And the Bluetooth, I could never get it to work with two different Bluetooth keyboards that I had. Um, that was really annoying. So I ended up, I had to bring a, a USB keyboard to the conference, and I was stuck in my hotel room, <laughs> swearing at the Bluetooth adapter because it just would not pair with any of the keyboards that I had brought. So I had to make sure everything was working, and in case I restart this Raspi would boot up into the kiosk mode that I had it set up. That was another thing I had to get it to work. Uh, when you get the Raspi by default, it loads into um, Chris. You, you already mentioned it. It loads into this GUI interface, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I mean that's that's great. But I mean most of us SSH into our <laughs> servers these days, so. That's what you want to do first time you get it. Um, and you can actually get what you can do. You can disable the GUI uh, by running uh, the Raspi config um, tool. And you can actually tell it to give that memory back that it uses for GUI to the system. So you can get more memory. Um, so let's see, what was I? Um, yeah, I know, it's, I know it's almost three years ago. It's like 300 years in internet time. So Yeah, yeah, I just remember the steps that I did. Um, and let's see, what else did I do? Oh, yeah, another thing you had to figure out was actually, actually how to SSH into this device that I just hooked up into my network. So I had to actually use Nmap to go through all my devices on my network to get the IP of the Raspi. And and do you guys know what the map is, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you do an end map, it comes up, gives you the MAC address, and it says Raspberry Pi Foundation. And like, okay, well, that's the one. And and the first thing I did was go in and <laughs> choose a static IP, and so that I don't never have to worry about it changing. Um, same with the Wi-Fi. Uh, I did that, and then. Um, like you, Chris, I searched for one of the OS distributions. I think I installed uh, the Wheezy, uh, the Debian Wheezy. Yeah, that seems to be the one that most people are using. Yeah, yeah. And um, the the new one, actually, since it uses a, a newer processor, it is... Uh, I need to know that about this somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, quad-core. Uh, ARM seven, uh, which which means wow, you can that's actually, pretty good. That's pretty good when you think about it. You have, like you have this little Raspberry Pi that has a quad core processor on it. That's yeah, cool. it's it's. Uh, I would say twice as easily twice as fast as the old one. Um, and people play 1080 no problem on this Raspi two. Wow. And the good thing is because it's uh, this architecture, you can use any Debian distribution on it. Because the Wheezy was a special one. It was. Uh, it was. It wasn't. Uh, uh, it was for the ARM, I think ARM v6 architectures. But anyways, um, so the you also have to get the memory card, as I mentioned. That's where you boot up your OS. Uh, I think I had a four gig one. They said two gigs is enough, but I put in four gig just in case. And I decided against overclocking it. But instead, I what I did was I got a couple of heat sinks. 
these are little tiny little heat sinks, <laughs> which you just glue on, I think, two, three different chips on the board. And uh, there are different tools you can actually monitor the temperature of the device. And any, if it goes in above 85, uh, you, you have to be really careful. I think it's, uh, mine it was about 75. It never went above 75, even when I was playing uh, movies on it. Um, but um, yeah, you can run XPMC on it, no problem. That's pretty well. Like, but like I said, anything over 720, you start noticing choppiness, um, mm -hmm. which uh, is annoying. But look at all the fun you had modding the device and doing all this stuff with it. So. It was, you know what? That was fun. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, working with it. It's a little tiny thing. It's cool. It's so small. You just hook it up to a giant TV and <laughs> there it goes. And the fact that it's portable, it was really great. Uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the last P2. I'm, I'm going to probably install um, a Kodi on it, uh, which is the XBMC, I guess. It's not called Kodi. And uh, the OS, it's called the OS, OSMC, the Open Source Media Center, osmc.tv. They have a really nice interface, lots of themes. Uh, I recommend it to anybody who wants to get into it. But yeah, the new one is 900 megahertz, quad core, uh, one gig of RAM, the, instead of the 512 that comes to the original SP. And that's a, that's a that's a pretty powerful little device when you think about it. I mean, I think about my early days of computer stuff as you know Commodore VIC twenty with five k memory. I'm thinking I I write emails that are longer than five k now. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I remember. Yeah, my memory has become the cheapest thing ever. I remember uh, back in the Amiga days, uh, people would spend I think two thousand dollars and getting 10 megabytes of memory oh man yeah i remember those good old days <laughs> i remember going i remember going to like some like uh i don't think computer conference is the right thing but there used to be like computer shows where you like all the vendors would be there you could buy stuff i remember like lining up to buy ram one time where i went with my <laughs> sister because this one vendor was like oh we'll be at the show and we'll be selling the ram for 40 bucks a mag i mean like i, like I remember that you know it's like nice. wow i got my apple we can oh we can look we can you know we pull all our money together we got 200 bucks we can double the memory on this computer so you know it's just it's just like you know of course the situation we have now is where people are actually treating memory as it's like disposable it's like oh everyone's got four gigs 16 gigs uh 32 gigs of ram available um in their machines it's like yeah i remember back when uh you know the interesting uh uh, tricks people would do to you know have a have a computer that was actually you know quite performant based on little teeny tiny amounts of RAM. I think about what it would take to like write a video game um, that would run on a VIC twenty. Now it's like I think most developers just their tools alone to try to build this thing wouldn't even fit in five K. <laughs> oh yeah, right. your normal Word document now used to be a game back then, like mm. the size of a Word document. <laughs> I remember they used to have these. Um, Amazing uh, that, uh, Euro demos, like it was 48K demos, 64K demos, and it would pack so much into these things and expand, and uh, it was amazing how, what they could do. Uh, I was amazed by uh, how much people, people would push the hardware, and uh, they would just learn assemblers. <laughs> they would just do machine code. It, it was amazing. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned this earlier before. It seems like the devices now are getting smaller and smaller. Are you, are you think we're getting close to a point where the, uh, 
you know, the home, uh, the home modder is going to be, I don't know, shit out of luck because these devices are getting smaller and smaller and more solid state stuff. And it's going to mm-hmm. get to the point where, you know, the average home modder hobbyist won't even be able to get access to the tools that they would need to mod one of these things. Yeah, it's becoming more and more closed. So, I mean, things like the last P is what people are going to go towards. Uh, it's the cheapest computer you can buy, I think. A portable computer is $42, I think. <laughs> Forty-two dollars for a one for nine hundred megahertz quad-core computer with one gigabyte of RAM. Wow! Uh, sick. If you go back even maybe five years ago, six years ago, you couldn't get anything like this. And the last speed, the original last speed, had some benchmarks down here, but it could do like one hundred sixty some odd requests a second Apache. And that, that's probably just responding to the request, but that's not bad for a little tiny $42, $40 computers. And yeah, the video playback is decent. And like I said, if you're just playing videos to the HDMI, works great. And I've, <sighs> some of the projects for it, though, are, are the, some of the coolest things that I've seen. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of neat projects, but the I think there was a guy who made a super computer with it that built, I think, 64 uh, Raspies together. A Beowulf cluster of Raspberry Pis? I think it was, yeah, I don't know what it was <laughs> called, but they had actually, what was even needed, they had to use Lego to build all the cases. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, they were basically running all of them in parallel. So that was neat. Somebody built a microwave with it. Um, and another one I just saw the other day was somebody had taken a keyboard. They had ordered a special part that was 3D printed, which would basically uh, house the USB ports of the of the Raspi. They had wired the USB ports into from the Raspi into these uh, ports from the back of the keyboard. It was this just standing standalone keyboard, and you would put this port in the back, and he had wired all of them in and. It was a portable computer. You would just take the computer, you had the HP, HDMI in the back, and you just hook it up to a TV, and away you go. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that the Raspberry Pi sits inside the sits keyboard. Inside. Well, yeah. Oh, wow. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. And, uh, so, Ed, so what's, I mean, what's one of the more crazy uh, mods for stuff that you've seen? Oh, man, stuff that I've seen. Um, boy, that's a good question. Because for me, the only really weird stuff is back when I was thinking about getting uh, building like an arcade cabinet with main oh, yeah, you could see right. some crazy crazy stuff the one the one I always thought that I thought would probably be the best for like a home user was I saw one that they took one of those old they used to call them the cocktail tables ones the sit down yep. ones yeah uh, seeing how to how to take one of those and I remember finding instructions on step by step instructions on if you can buy one of these things here's everything you need to do to hack it and turn it into a um Turn into a main one, and like, here's all the parts you're going to need, and all the detailed step by step instructions on how to make it happen. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen some, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of hardware hacking myself. I've seen some stuff that I think is pretty interesting. Um, people t- doing things like uh, um, using like Game Boys for uh, the synth chip inside them, uh, and then actually composing music on them, things like that. Um, 
I think one of the things that I have always I've wanted to have and I don't <laughs> I don't have because it's a hassle to uh, it's well it's just really expensive and I haven't get, gotten uh, been able to get together on it is there's these um for a lot of consoles uh, it's hard to uh, get them playing and looking nice on new TVs. Uh, there's, uh, especially because a lot of times it's really hard to get output from them that is very high quality. Um, so I've seen people hack consoles to do things like get, um, RGB output from these devices that they didn't, they might have the actual capability, but they don't, uh, they don't have the, the connectors on them. And so they, they figure out a way to, hook a guy up to that so that they can get that out of there. But I've also seen these upscaler devices that people have that will, um, uh, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of, there was a name of one that I can't think of right now, but there was a, it, they seem, they, I remember there were some that came out of Japan that were supposed to be really good, but there's like a 500, $600 box. Wow. Um, oh. and it would take a few different kinds of input, like an RGB and a SCART, um, which was a popular thing in Europe. It wasn't, a, I guess, a big thing in North America, but uh, it was popular in Europe. Input uh, RGB SCART and uh, things like that. And then um, it would run HDMI out of it. And you could do things like simulate scan lines on it and stuff like that. And I guess the thing that was really good about this was that it handled lots of different input really well. And it's processing each one of the frames that's coming out mm -hmm. and it's easy. You know, you can imagine that could introduce lag or uh, latency of some kind into it or just get messy really quick. And I guess this thing did a really good job. Um, I have to look and see if I can find that thing, but uh, it was this. Um, but so people who play, yeah. Oh, okay. So it's the XRGB three. Or, or the XRGB Mini Frame Meister Compact Upscaler Unit. Wow! <laughs> right? Okay, so I found I found it here, and it is oh, it's sold out, and it's five hundred nineteen dollars from this oh, wow. place. Okay, and it's a and it's a box that's got you know it's got standard sort of RCA AV stuff on it, and S video and things like that, and then on the outside, it's got um, it can output up to ten eighty p HDMI on it. Um, but I guess this thing is supposed to be the awesomest uh, device here um, to do that kind of stuff with it. But it's really hard to find those kinds of things, you know, and it's expensive. Uh, like I said, it's about $500 in Japan. And then, you you know, you add 20, 30 bucks. Um, and so that was, uh, yeah. Uh, now here, somebody should buy me this, put it on my uh, Amazon. That is a very list. cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I the uh, the remote is all in Japanese, so you have to figure that out, um, which I don't know how. But it looks like, yeah, it looks like these guys. That thing is awesome. Look at that remote, too, with all the bazillion yeah. buttons yeah. and stuff. So, no I, idea you, what You, you want to get one, just like, it just sits there and goes, I don't know, man, but it looks fucking awesome. Yeah, I right. like the name. <laughs> Frame Meister. Frame yeah, Meister. Right. <laughs> so if you look around on YouTube, there's some good reviews of it, and these guys have gotten like, hey, I modified this thing, you know, I modified my PC engine 
or in the US they call it, it was a TurboGrafx-16 that mm -hmm. modified it so I could get RGB out from it. But I want to play it on these new sets and they look like shit if you don't have a CRT TV. I do have a CRT TV. I have an old like Sony uh, CRT that I still have for that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, it's kind of inconvenient. Those things are huge and you know, where are you going to put it? And this lets you play it on stuff that takes HDMI. And uh, so if you're really into this stuff, these guys, you know, get really into it to like get the best picture you can on big screens. Um, I guess this thing's supposed to be really good. So, um, but l there's lots of stuff like, okay, so I, I have a, I have an Atari 1040 ST and I guess it doesn't have, there were a couple different models and the model I bought, uh, doesn't have a, like the, it, well, it doesn't, it can't do composite output, I guess. So I like to get a display for it, to hook it up. I would actually have to, I think I have to buy an Atari monitor for it. Um, yeah. And it's those, they're not, you know, they're not like super easy to lay hands on. Like I probably it would cost me two or $300 just to get the, that monitor for that thing. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if it's worth that. Like, I kind of like, I like having the thing, but I'm not sure that it's worth, you know, uh, that much. Um, and you know, I'd look and it's hard to find that stuff because like you'd look around and people, there are some people who are like, well, it probably does this. So you could build your own cable and I'm not the guy to build my own cable. <laughs> right. And, and they talk about like, some people talk about using these boards that they've used to, um, I guess there's uh, stuff with those main cabinets or things that people make when they put together arcade cabinets and, um, they have to get adapters for like the, like these, these, uh, these circuit cards that just yeah. do like adaption between like old, older video signals to like newer VGA or something like that. Yeah. I actually built a MAME cabinet as well. Right. <laughs> okay. Mentions. And it's a cocktail style cabinet. And the funny That's thing is awesome. you mentioned you want to put like, you know, what do you want to output to new TVs? Um, if you're a retro gaming fan, uh, you actually try to do the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, I know I, people who actually go and buy, gut an old arcade machine just to get the TV out. Yep. There's old RGB monitors, and they just get a tube. And you, that's one option. Uh, the other option is you get a, a card, which is this ATI, and they still make it. It's called the PCIe video card, the ultimate PCIe video card. Oh, here we go. Found it. It's, and it's called the Arcade VGA 5000. It basically converts the video into a signal that's that's uh, for these old monitors. I see. And uh, it's like $50. It's a cheap card, but it's if you want like that call, because what's missing, when you hook up these old games, new monitors, you miss all the scan lines are gone. Right. And, yeah. and if, you, <laughs> if you see these games and uh, the modern monitors, they just look really blocky. And, it's uh, really bad. Yeah. yeah, the colors don't... The, 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 the beauty of the old games is that the pixels kind of the colors would kind of merge and everything kind of would smooth out. Uh, even though it was only 320 by um, 320 by 200 or something, it's a very small number of pixels. The games look great. Um, they don't look so great on new monitors. So this, these cards would allow you to do that. <laughs> it's funny, like 
that you mentioned that. But some of the new consoles, though, you're right, like uh, the Dreamcast, when it came out, it didn't. Uh, I think I had to buy a little box to get it output to um, VGA, not even HDMI. Yeah, so it could do yeah. VGA output, but you had to buy that box. And of course, now finding that box is it's, it's really expensive to find that thing because they didn't make that many of them. See, right? da- damn it, Arby! Now I'm looking in my office. I'm thinking, how can I convince Arby to sell me that main the cocktail table? And can I fit it? In my- <laughs> and can I and can I fit it in my office? We, we we had to gut an old Dell to do that. We yeah. had this old Dell sitting. I'm like, what are we going to do with this? I'm like, oh, let's make another kit. Maybe I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Because so, uh, I actually have underneath my desk, I have one of these, because um, I play with it every once in a while, the X-Arcade, you know, the, the oh, yeah, that's gaming a good Um Yeah, I have the, the, the dual stick one, not the one that's got the, it's not, it doesn't have the trackball in it, but it's got all the programmable buttons and stuff. And that thing is awesome when I fire up MAME, when I, I, I have my, um, my laptop, my MacBook Air um, can dual boot. So I use boot camp and when I want to play some arcade games, I fire up because I have MAME and a bunch of games on there. But I've always kind of wanted one of those dedicated, you know, see, now that I know that you got one of these things, now I'm mad because <laughs> now I want one and I'm looking at my office, where can I put one of these things if I wanted to do one? But yeah, you can buy them now. They're like, I think for two grand, you can buy a whole like kid machine that has MAME in it. Mm-hmm. See, you shouldn't have told me that, RB. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> I get some of that book money. Yeah, I got to sell a lot of books about hack to get to buy a buy our, <laughs> yep. to, to buy that thing. But uh, it's uh, actually while, while we were talking, I was just looking around some stuff to do with uh, my Raspberry Pi, and I actually found because I've been wanting to do this, I found instructions on how to turn the Raspberry Pi into uh, an anonymizing Tor proxy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can get that oh. thing up and running. That could be very very cool. I've seen various ones where double Wi-Fi connectors and, and stuff like this. So I found instructions on how to do it. So I may actually want to give it a try. So so if I want to search some websites and not everybody know that I'm snooping around, um, it can run through uh, run through Tor. It could be kind of interesting. Nice. That's neat. But but yeah, the the uh, the frame meister. I don't think you can think of a better name for a product. <laughs> it's very descriptive of what it's doing. Um, it's very interesting. So yeah. so how are we doing for time? So we've been talking for uh, almost an hour. So, um, so so what do you think, Arby? You think like golden age for our home for the home modders, or it's just simply it's it's always kind of been like this just the devices that people have access to are, are just simply changing all the time well i think there's kind of two parallel paths here one is the consumers who are buying these all built-in ready to go uh HTPC, well, I don't know if you call them HTPCs, I guess they are like uh, the western digital the Roku boxes apple tvs you know, they just plug it in and it works. You don't have to touch it. Uh, and but there are people who want to mod it and skin it and put their own themes. Uh, I guess the difference is, <laughs> I would compare people who. Now I don't know if you guys have Apple fans or not, but I find people who go with the Android phones. They like to every Android is all different. They like because they like to customize it to their right. liking. Uh, I think that's that's what I'm what I see. Like people who mod the stuff is they customize it to exactly what they need it to do, um, as opposed to people who get the Apple iPhones. They don't really care about that. They just want it to work and not worry about it. 
That's kind of that's kind of where I am right now with like the stuff that I use that I'm going to use day to day. Yeah, I'm just I just want it to work, and I'm not gonna. Yeah. But yeah. the things where I have time to fool around and where the and where the financial investment into it isn't so horrible, then I'm willing to put up with things where I'm going to have to really um, really smack on it hard to get it to work. Yeah, t- time is the thing. She has the time, um, and well, the passion comes with it as you're doing it. I think. It, for one of these projects, once you start it, I'm a type of person. Once I start these projects, I gotta finish it. Right. <laughs> I gotta kind of dedicate that time to it and just do it and get it done with. Otherwise, it just becomes one of those things. Just sits on my shelf and collects dust. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I used to be kind of like you know, Chris. You were talking about how I used to build all my own PCs and stuff like that. I remember my first. Uh, uh, the first PC I built was a Pentium 150. It was not MMX. And I was able to, I overclocked it to 166 megahertz. And uh, that was exciting. And it had an 8-bit board in it. I can't remember the model of it. But uh, that was, you know, and I was reading Tom's Hardware Guide. And that's how I learned about the, the you could overclock those 150s. Ah, uh, good old Tom. Yep, yep. Um... <laughs> I still think of Anid as like a like a sixteen year old kid, a young whippersnapper who was that dude is like now like thirty, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, so I used to build all that stuff, and I think you know, and I still have some of the, you know, I still it's like I like having some of that stuff, like that's why I collect the old consoles and Commodore one twenty eight. I'm looking at over here on top of two fifteen forty one floppy drives and. You know, I just like collecting that stuff, but I have found that for my like day to day stuff, I really just want things to work and not have to screw with them. And like, yeah. like what you guys were talking a lot about, like, um, you know, devices to play with. And I am so happy now with a Roku 3 running Plex, the Plex app mm-hmm. that you can get for mm-hmm. it yep. because you can get it for free mm-hmm. and it. And I so I run a server, right? A Plex server, which work, and that is working so much better than I used to have. You know, Samba mounts for XBMC yep. running on these devices, and it would just it would get it was a lot flakier, and it would mm-hmm. lose stuff and things like that. And the Roku just is a, a simpler interface, and Roku running Plex, it plays all the stuff I want to for the most part, and it works great. And I just love it. It makes me so happy. It's so, and I don't have to, and I just, it's like after like 10 or years of like messing around with home theater stuff, I got so tired of like messing around with shit all the time. And like, you know, having to reboot things or oh, yep. they crashed and, yeah. and oh, I got to go find a mouse to try to, you know, yeah, get yeah. the GUI back up and yeah. stuff. And I'm just like, I don't care about it anymore. And it, it's it, in some ways I, and it might be different. It might be different if like I didn't have, I don't know. I'm just tired. <laughs> I guess I'm old and tired, and, uh, you know, but, uh, no, that's, but that's true. That's true. Yeah. And I think I'm kind of like that. Like, that's why I don't have like a, a Linux desktop, man. Cause I'm just like, I don't want to screw with this. Oh, I this was, I was a work. Linux guy for years until, yeah. uh, until I 
you know, then like 10 years ago, I said, okay, enough. I want a Mac. And I've been just stuff that just works for my Mac. Mm-hmm. I haven't had too many problems with them at all. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I hear you, Ed. I mean, I, I know that if I wanted to, definitely I could install Plex on the, um, uh, install the Plex app on the, because we have one Roku now and I bought another one for upstairs because our, I have an LG Blu-ray player and I think the, um, I think the Netflix app that's on this LG Blu-ray player um, leaks memory like a sieve because you use it for a while and then the whole thing like locks up and the remote becomes unresponsive and you have to like unplug the Blu-ray player and then you have to do like this discharging thing that my daughter found online where like take the battery out of the remote and hold the power button down for like 60 seconds to kind of reset everything so um, so that's why I got them the Roku Um, I bought one for upstairs of course I forgot that I needed to buy a cable so when the thing came I was like oh damn it it doesn't come with HDMI cable so back onto Amazon I went because I had a gift card that I got for my birthday so I bought the cable and and then I bought some comic books that I wanted to get so I could get up to free shipping and we were all good so um so yeah like yeah I'm I'm with you Ed I'm at the point where yeah I just want my shit to work I want to plug it in and um if it's going to take me more than a, my, my personal threshold for these things now is like an hour if I can't get this thing going in an hour it, it's just not going to happen so um that's that's kind of where yeah. I am with that sort of stuff So are we basically we're saying that you're better than both of us <laughs> Oh you are <laughs> No you know what I, since I got the devil I hadn't had the urge to change it, which says a lot. Like I hadn't had the urge to buy something else to replace it because it's been working just fine. Uh, we use Netflix. Probably the two things I've used most is Netflix and uh, the fact that it can play my uh, my movies. Right. So that's that's the two most things. Uh, the other stuff they have tons of apps. They fill these things with lots of other things, but those are the two things I've used. That's it. So CRB, I see. I can buy the cabinet for three hundred bucks, and then I just have to get in. I can buy one with the controls for like four hundred bucks. You just uh, st- still need to get the screen and the PC, but I think yeah. with, uh, I think if you buy the one, the five hundred dollar one, and then you're probably looking at probably what another five hundred bucks for a PC and a flat not even, not flat even. screen monitor. To two, I would. Two. I would. It depends on what games you want to play. To go right. through that list of games that you really want to want them this thing, and I would go. I mean, the the one I have actually is an old Sony uh, Tunitron monitors. Oh, cool! It's it's flat. I don't think you can get them anymore now, but uh, it's flat and it's not an LCD. Um, and you can do scan. I think you can do scan lines on it because of the that card that I mentioned, the mm-hmm. VGA card. Uh, I can actually produce scan lines for you. Nice. Um, I would do that. Yeah, I would yeah, get because I'm looking at this. This looks like a yeah. I, I better actually close this window before before the before the credit card comes Bye. out and, and something shows up at the house. I'm, I'm trying to explain this one away to the wife could be uh, yeah. could be kind of difficult. Um, but no, I mean it, it looks really good. Yeah, it's really really cool. It's the fact it says Mame and Jamma ready, and I just did a quick search. Jamma is like Jamma some board. standard for the um, for the Japanese stuff. It's like the you can buy parts from them and yes. yeah. Japan amusement machinery manufacturers association. So you could like buy the, buy all the parts, like the actual arcade things. You could throw quarters and tokens and other things in there and get the thing to work. There's actually, thing. I know you live in Toronto, right? So yeah, yeah. Just a little bit to the West. I'm sure there's places where I could go find all this stuff. If yeah, I really wanted there's to. actually a place uh, near uh, 401. There's a go-kart place. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it on the North end, North side? Uh, there's actually a arcade place that you can buy parts. 
Lots of perks. You can buy old cabinets that don't work. You can buy. Stop it. telling me these. Yeah, I shouldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah, never mind. I'll follow it via email. We'll leave this out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know. I think I know where that go kart place is on the on the four hundred one. Um, I think I've driven by it a bazillion times on my way into yeah. Toronto that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think if people I, want to buy build these cabinets, I recommend go actually buy a cabinet for two hundred bucks, yeah. like an actual authentic arcade cabinet, and work with that. Just gut it. And put your your own uh, guts in it, your own PC, your own fan and monitor, everything. Yeah, because I think I see one on this one website. I'm like, I put a link to it, so it'll be in the show notes. But they basically have one that you can buy that um, has the. They have a bunch of different ones. Like I said, I I think the little the cocktail table one is kind of the one that I would want. But you can basically get one and um, and. Uh, uh, you can buy it with the controller in it already, so f- for the two sides of it, and then uh, and then yeah, you just have to get a PC. I would think because I have one of these um, XRK things, I would I would think probably the smartest thing for me to do would be buy one of these cabinets where I could just plop the actual XRK uh, dual joystick controller into it and uh, and do it that way. A sit down one would be nice, but a stand up one would be kind of cool. And I could just shove that in a corner of the of the basement somewhere. I'm sure my my youngest daughter likes video games too, so she would probably want to play some games on it. So uh, uh, it could be it could be a project I could figure out how to scrape all this stuff together. You never know. Can you uh, is that that board allow you to switch between four way and eight way, or is it always eight way? This joystick. Oh, the controller. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always eight way because it's actually it's actually analog. I can actually hear it click when you do stuff, but it's eight way. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's it's you, really you want, you want the clicking. That's good. Yeah, no, this is a big yeah. solid tank of a controller. I've I've had it for a couple of years now, and I'm just lifting it out from under my desk. And yeah, it's it's nice. You can feel it moving. It's all analog, and um, the cool the cool thing that they do with it is that it actually um, it actually acts as a keyboard. So that way, when you're using Mame, you can map certain keys mm-hmm. um you know it, it's like control and shift up and and all this other stuff and the little controller it'll do either i think it actually does like us does it do usb yeah let me look at the connector at the bottom yeah there's one usb one or that uh old ancient um ps2 uh keyboard oh. connectors oh. on it but yeah it basically acts as a acts as a keyboard but this thing is a tank it's nice and solid i remember i had a friend over a while ago um and we were playing on it and banging away on it doing stuff and this thing is just it's it's a tank it's super solid and uh it would be awesome if i could find a cabinet to stick this in and build a little little home arcade thing because i know my youngest daughter likes to play a lot of these games when uh, a few times that she's been down in my office i have to kick her out otherwise she'd play on it for hours and hours and hours uh, just the the old arcade games if there's no forgiveness no 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 forgiveness no save points no no (laughs) that's rough stuff like you just got to keep pumping quarters into it buddy yes i I know i did that a a friend came over remember that game Uh, what the heck is it um Gauntlet, you know it's uh, the yeah sure. Oh, the coin the, sucker, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the dungeon uh, crawling one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. My friend and I, we tried to go. I think we got oh, we got really really deep into playing because of course we could just like keep hitting the add more coin button <laughs> on the on the thing. <laughs> oh, we're about to die! Ding 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 ding! Let's add a hundred dollars worth of quarters in, and then we can burn through that as as quickly as possible. That was one of those first games that came out. It was clever because uh, you would basically gain health when you put yes. a coin in. Right? Yes. That was very clever. Very smart and devious. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, so we've been we've been talking for about an hour now. So I think. What do you think, Ed? Have we reached the end of our little discussion? This has been awesome. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun. But yeah, I'd probably probably wrap it up. Got it. We, we got to remind everybody about our fun sponsors. That's right. So go ahead, Ed. Talk about yeah. our sponsors. Well, you know, we've got the uh, 360 panorama view of your uh, computer monitor. Um, that Wonder Network is offering with a website of your choice appearing on it, um, which is a lot of fun. Uh, those again, those uh, images are only available from Clearwater, Florida, though, so uh, you only experience the that that location uh, for your website. And then we've got uh, Team Rove. Uh, Team Rove uh, have moved into the. Uh, uh, Japanese to English translation of uh, dating simulator games uh, running in Silverlight in your browser. And, um, and of course, all the backend necessary for that is handled by uh, Grumpy Programmer, our own. Uh, so he, uh, if you want him to, can manipulate uh, any statistics uh, if you send in sponsorship money uh, on those dating simulators. So uh, that's that's uh, who we've got to thank. And, you know, thanks again uh, for your uh, spinning monitors and uh, sad dating games. It's a hell of a niche, I'm telling you, Ed. People eat it up. That's right. So <laughs> it's a long tail. <laughs> so thanks so much to our sponsors because um, they enable to keep us uh, in, uh, give us a little bit of cash, so so I can do things like gaze longingly at buying uh, arcade cabinets over the <laughs> internet. Uh, so Arby, thanks so much uh, for joining us tonight. This has been awesome. A little glimpse into the world of uh, hardware and software mods, and uh, and uh, I suspect both Ed and I are modders at heart. And I know if I ever get to do one of these projects, I know who I'm emailing to say, "Hey, Arby." I have just the thing I could use some help with. Um, so, so thanks for joining us. As always, you can find uh, um, oh, you can find Arby online on Twitter if you want to talk to him about uh, about any of the stuff. What's your what's your Twitter handle, Arby? At Zoom A R Z O U M. Yes, and uh, he would love to gain a whole bunch more followers and start hassling him about helping them out with their various hardware mod projects. Um, so you can always find everything to do with this podcast at our website devhell.info. Every single episode that we've ever done, along with uh, snappy headlines and uh, and show notes for everything. Um, you can find the also you can listen to us via iTunes. If you do listen to us via iTunes, please 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 rate uh, the app. Give us some feedback. Let you know what you, what you like, what you don't like. Um, I hear from very satisfied listeners all the time, and I, I won't lie, it makes my ego feel good that people are enjoying um, the uh, technology based comedy that Ed and I do. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed on Twitter as Funkatron with the U. You can find our Twitter account for the podcast itself at dev underscore hell. So thanks uh, so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you all soon. Good night, Internet. Good night.